Welcome back to another episode of People of Product. My name is George Brooks, and on today's episode, I had the absolute pleasure to talk to Martina Lauchenko. Martina is the author of Loved, How to Rethink Marketing of Tech Products. And she goes into this, this role, this space, this responsibility called product marketing. It's different than just traditional marketing where there's SEO and SEM and, and all of that. And it's different than product where it's product management and product development and product design. It's this role that sits in between, but yet sits extremely close close to the purpose of product. And really what I loved about our conversation is we have the opportunity to talk about the people and how they get closer together, how they create a partnership, how they create a conversation so that they can do this well. I think you're going to love Martina's point of view on how great companies like Microsoft or the startups like Pocket, which have gone on to be extremely successful, do these bo- both these things well. Not just build product, but actually think about product marketing, about being ambassadors for their product, about telling great stories for their product, about really thinking strategically about how to get the word out and how to build a product that people really want. So I think this is going to be really important for you if you're on a team that is trying to build a product that you think the world is going to love because it's not just as simple as build it and they will come. It's really about making sure that you have great product marketing strategy. Now let's jump into the show. Martina, thank you so much for being with me today. Um, I would love for you to take a chance to just get, a, get to introduce our audience to you and to your story. Well, I started my career as a product manager for Microsoft Word many years ago and basically navigated between product management and product marketing for the most of the early part of my career. And that was at Microsoft, first for Word, then for Office, then at Netscape in the early days of the internet. So I kind of lived through these massively transformative periods in software and then started teaching. I've taught at Berkeley uh, in the Graduate School of Engineering for the last decade. So I teach engineers about product management and marketing. I have advised many companies. I sit on boards. And my day job, besides SVPG stuff, is uh, I work as a partner at Costa Nova Ventures. We do just early stage startup investing, and we back product and technical founders. Wow. I mean... I don't even know where to start because there's so many stories I want to pull on there. Maybe the early <laughs> days or where you're at now. Tell me a little bit about, you said you've been in both the product and marketing role. So I'm, you know, I'm, I'm teasing it up a little bit, but tell me a little bit of, about how those two worlds collide and what, what you found exploring that. So they are, the great part about that career was I started at Microsoft where the product management and product marketing roles work hand in glove with one another. So this, they have very clear roles, but they are attached at the hip. Mm-hmm. And it, it's, you really see how when they are done in partnership, how powerful that combination can be. And so because I started my career there, when I left, I was like, what's everybody else doing? <laughs> like, why, why are there these silos that are so separated? Because when you are attached at the hip, the product builds better product and the go-to-market is much easier and the go-to-market's much more interesting if it's deeply enmeshed with what's happening in product because you bring all of that product investment into how you're approaching go-to-market, which especially in the world of Agile, like there's always something interesting and new that you should be taking advantage of. 
So it, it, to me, I'd say where they intersect, it's not that they collide. They should be. They, they should be twins. <laughs> you know, conjo- Ooh, that are, I like that. That are you know, conjoined twins uh, or Siamese twins, but they are not in most places. And I think that is one of the, the, the great challenges of a lot of companies now is because people haven't grown up in a place where they've seen this partnership work particularly well. They don't realize how powerful it can be when it is done extremely well. You said two words that just ring true, and we've talked about this on many previous episodes with other guests, is um, I talk about I'm in the business of people. I just happen to design and build products. And you've already mentioned people, that this is about having people become partners, maybe with different roles, different capabilities, but towards a common purpose. And the second part of that you said, which is a word that I, I, I cringe against, but also I love that you said it, which is silos. So the two things that I'm in the mission to destroy are silos and bottlenecks. And if we can do more work to destroy silos and bottlenecks, we will actually create better products, better companies, better teams, more fun places to work and actually achieve better outcomes. So you talked about the, this you know, product and marketing coming together as a partnership. What does that look like? What is that uh, tangibly? Um, what are kind of the fundamentals of that? Yeah, well, the 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 place where that intersection lives is the discipline of product marketing, because that is the the seat, the role that is supposed to combine and really intersect these these disciplines of the pure marketing. And when I say marketing, that's like SEO, digital campaigns, branding, all the stuff that that might as well be a foreign language to people in product. And, and it's okay for it to stay that way. People in product don't need to understand all of those things, but they do need to understand why and how it might be leveraged toward a product end. And that's where the product marketing team can serve as this ambassador between what's happening on the go-to-market engine and how the product team should be taking advantage or leveraging that. And that's, that's really where that, that nexus should, should exist. Now you, I, I want to, I want to give you a chance to bring it up because I'm, I'm teasing this out a little bit because I've actually spent some time in your new book. You've, uh, you've just published. I say just published. It's been out for a little bit, but this is, this is just a month amazing. actually. So it's still a month and a half. Oh, so it's still new. Yeah. Okay, I guess I've been watching kind of the rumblings of it coming <laughs> for a little the bit. The build longer. up came, and then yeah. yeah so it's, but it's yeah, it's only actually been out in market for I guess we're on week six. Well, congratulations, first off, that mm-hmm. I have thought about and attempted to write a book, and I think it's harder than starting a company, in my opinion. Um, it's so equivalent, George. It's so funny that you say that. I, I had no idea. I was like, oh, it's going to be really hard. I'm like, I know it's going to be hard, but it was way harder than I thought. And for all the reasons that starting a company is, which is you think it's going to be one thing at the beginning, as you go through the process, you realize, oh, it's totally different. You think you're close to done. And then you realize as you're getting feedback on your MVP, oh no, there's so much more work that must be done. And then just like product to get to that end version that has that fit and polish and, and thinks about the journey of the reader, same as the journey through a product, you, you want the steel thread that makes it actually a compelling experience. So for me, it was very, I was like, wow, this was very much like a building a product experience. Oh man, I, I don't, let's, we can have a whole other conversation about my, the anxiety I feel about going into that world. But, um, so tell me more about Loved. I mean, it's, it's been out for a month. Um, what's the premise? What, why do you think this, this piece of content, this book needed to happen right now? This book needed to happen right now because product marketing as a discipline is very misunderstood. 
on both mm-hmm. the product side and the marketing side. On the product side, they're kind of like, oh yeah, these are the people that help do launches and help us do collateral and build sales tools. And on the marketing side, they think the same thing, which is like, oh yeah, we need more product collateral. And so let's make sure we get product marketing in here. And when it's done the way it, it, it has a full potential to behave, it is this massively strategic function that helps direct how a product gets to market, that's shaping the market's perception of our product that helps align it with business goals. So in the best companies, it is done in this massively strategic way. Most people just don't understand that that's what they can get out of product marketing. So the idea of the book was to write it from the perspective of people who practice product and don't have an understanding of all these levers and what is marketing? What's the difference between marketing and product marketing? Because it seems to live over there and and they seem to just do marketing things. And so I wanted to, to... actually shine a brighter light on here's what it should do and what what it is. And even if you don't have someone that is doing it, here's how you can do it yourself. Because product marketing can be done by people that don't hold the title. And so the the book was really written so that I'm going to remove every excuse (laughs) that everyone has for better product marketing to occur. And that's what the book is. Here are all the fundamental foundational tools you need and why you should do it. So let's jump in a little bit further because you talked about the fundamentals and, and you've already kind of hinted at them a little bit, but maybe you can you can take us deeper into what are some of those fundamentals? Because I know a lot of startups um, that they they would think, oh, we just need to hire that role. When in reality, it's like, well, you could be practicing this now even while you're looking for that perfect person. And exactly. the same thing goes for the enterprises that we work with. I mean, they're, they would make the same exact excuse. Well, we have a marketing department. Right. And, and the marketing department, and a lot of these bigger organizations are completely separate from product. Oh, There's, yeah. there, there isn't even, I mean, it's, it's two different buildings. It's not it's a silo. Yeah. It's like two yeah, different I mean, continents with an literally, ocean. Literally. Yeah. And sometimes <laughs> that's actually the case. Um, <laughs> so tell me a little bit more. What, what are those fundamental truths about when product marketing is, is done well, what's happening? Yeah. So the four fundamentals that I dive into are that there's an, There's an ambassador function, which is connecting customer and market insights. There's the strategist function, which is directing the products go go to market. So how do we make sure everything that we're doing actually adds up to moving the needle in the market? And the third fundamental is storytelling, which is shaping how the world thinks about a product, which you hear a lot of people talk about stories. Everybody needs stories. People remember stories, but it's the broader narrative into which you're you're making sure your product has meaning and there's a lot of elements to it. It's not just, oh, I have a story, I have a pitch, check the box. Messaging is a piece of that. All the things you do to position a product is a piece of that. And the fourth is evangelist. Not that you are, but that you're enabling others to be. And you and I were just talking about this where right now we're using this product called Riverside to record this podcast. And one of the great things it does is at the very end, it says, thank you so much. Here's a photo of you recording the session and here are some buttons to share it on social. And I was like, that is brilliant because the product has built in the capacity to enable evangelism, not just when the podcast is done, but as a part of the process, they're continuing to do that. And that's exactly what that product marketing mindset is as it's reflected through product. So those four fundamentals, and of course, that's going to help with adoption and that's what you want. So those four fundamentals can be practiced anywhere inside the product organization. And if they are, it only makes go-to-market easier. And if you have a dedicated product marketer, it only gets better. So it's all additive, 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 but the 
the confused part is many people think of product marketing as these bajillion tasks, 37 boxes I need to check off and all these things that I need to manage. And they've lost sight of its true purpose. And so that's why I wanted to really hone it all down to like, these are the four fundamentals. And if these, these are the only things that matter. And if you're doing a whole lot of other stuff, ask yourself why. Gosh, so much to unpack there. It's so good. Um, when, when you enter in, into a space and you start talking to an individual about this idea, because some of the things that come to mind was there's a little bit of like growth hacking in there. There's a little mm-hmm. bit of the traditional marketing in there. There's also the strategy of product in there. So I think of the entrepreneurs I know would be eating up what you're saying, but going, I don't know. I don't, I barely have enough time to get the product built and I'm completely into this zone. What does that look like when you have those early conversations with someone trying to say, here's, here's where to start. Yeah. Here's so, where you just get going. Totally. And I totally, I was like, oh my God, you're, you're giving me more stuff to do. And, and actually what I'm saying is do exactly what you're doing, but be more marketing customer forward in that discovery and early work. So I mentioned that Costano Ventures, I, we do just early stage. Most of the companies that I start, when I start working with them, they have no one that is doing anything market facing. It's like, here are the founders and they have a product background. If, if they're lucky, sometimes they're just engineers. Like one person I work with, he's like standalone hiring engineers and all he's ever done is engineering. No concept of marketing. So the stuff we focus on is what are you trying to say and how, and, 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 and go out in all the customer conversations that you're having, ask some market signal questions like, how would you describe this to a colleague? And it, you know, relative to something else you've recently bought, how on a scale from one to 10, how, how high would you put this on value? So you're calibrating it relative to actions they have actually taken. So it's not an academic exercise of, well, how much do you value this? Because everyone says like, oh, I'd value it. But you don't have a sense relative to something where they have actually bothered to take action. So there are all these things you're already doing where you just want to put a market lens on it that helps you understand what, when and where you might get market pull. That also helps you figure out things like, how should I be talking about this? Because people with deep product knowledge often talk about it from a very technical place. Oh, and then we can do this. So one of the companies I work with they, they are about authorization, which is distinct from authentication. But for mm-hmm. most of the world, they do not have that fine sliced distinction. They're like, oh, isn't authorization part of authentication? Oh, it's totally different. And they have to learn that a little bit. So if they just talk about what they do, it's people they're like, oh, that doesn't apply to me, even though it might completely. And so they've had to take that message a level up and say, it's just in time access to your most valuable customer data and making sure that everyone has the right context and the right role before they're able to do that. Instead of relying on the technical language, when they made that discovery, it changed their roadmap because they were prioritizing things differently. So this is an example at that really early stage of as you explore how to talk about it in a way that is meaningful to the market, it helps you prioritize what you build and why you're, and you know why you're doing it because it helps you tell a better story about why people need your product now and why they should take action. What's really interesting about that, some of the things that we hear even even on the podcast or in my own personal product experiences that people really struggle with is prioritization. What I don't know what I should do first. I know what it looks like when it's fully baked. They, they have this beautiful image in their head of the utopian product, right? And they 
Or they might go, I need feature parity with my competitor plus, <laughs> plus these other 15 features, right? So how many times my company's been p- pitched, can you just build me Salesforce, but that it does these other 20 things, but it has to be just as good as Salesforce plus these other 20 things. And I'm like, and can much? I get it in three months? <laughs> <laughs> For, you know, about five grand. And it's like, right. well, well, you know what? I love your ambition. Um, but th- it is a challenge, right? Because we've been in some ways as product people or as consumers of product, we've been spoiled by the fidelity, the the great Riverside user experience that we're having right now. And when you're talking about bringing a new idea to the world, testing that in a market, validating the potential of that, uh, then iterating towards the right solution, it's really hard to know what is priority, what's enough. Um, what is that? Go further into that because I think that's something that a lot of people probably feel, which is like, I don't, I don't know how that conversation takes place. Yeah, and this is why for me the fundamental one, which is being an ambassador to customer market insights, is is it's the foundation. Like you don't pass go, you don't do anything else until you've gotten a little bit more signal on this, because that does tell you based on who I'm trying to reach. Like since we're talking about Riverside, it is so 100% clear they know precisely who they were targeting. And they took the time to understand what is the entire journey, not Mm. just as they are using the product, what do they need, but the before and the after. And then what what might the person who's creating this actually want to get out of this experience beyond just, I have a recording and it's a good platform. And so that's the kind of customer knowledge that you want to have that helps you prioritize. So we talked about sharing on social is built in right from the start. They, they clearly said, well, that's going to be important. Or at the beginning, it was like, oh, there's a little countdown where let's, oh, let's make sure that everybody's ready and put them in a, a production mindset, have them take this seriously. So it's not to separate it from Zoom so that people understand, oh, I am, I am now recording a podcast and it, and it, and it, it simulates this production environment. So people lean in and take it take it serious. Well, take it, not that I'm not taking this seriously, but a Zoom recording (laughs) and feeling like you're in a studio environment feels different. And so they, it's so clear to me being here, it's like, oh, they thought of these things. So that clarity of who helped them prioritize, what do they need to do? How do we make this feel like a studio experience and not just a product that records podcasts? Those set very different market contexts. But they understand that the early adopters of this product are going to be people who are leaning heavily into what podcasts and their potential are. So they take it seriously, like a studio, with good equipment. They care about these little things. And so let's make sure we build, we prioritize those things that might seem small to someone that's like, oh, it just needs to be a recording platform that does this. And let's build that in from the start. So prioritization comes from that deep knowledge of what's in the landscape, the market landscape who your customers are. And then it makes it a little more obvious what makes your product stand out. Mm-hmm. And I, I say this again and again, where that not all features are equal. And there are some that have disproportionate impact on the market's perception of the product. And you want to find those golden nuggets. And that's what you're seeking in, in prioritizing. Isn't like, here's the list of things that we can do. The customer and market forward way of looking at that is who are we talking to? And what will delight and surprise them that will help move the needle and say like, oh my gosh, this is clearly far and away the best for what I'm trying to do. Because every single category is super crowded and you really have to, you have to aspire to stand out as a product, which means you have to prioritize in a way that lets your product stand out. 
how does a product marketer, so let's say you do have those two roles. So either the, the, the actual role of product marketer or a group that is focused on that product marketing um, aspect, how does that product marketing and project, product management get closer together? How, how you, we talked about it before, they should be a partnership, but what, how do those conversations take shape? Because I, I know from personal experience, sometimes those are not conversations, those are battlefields, right? Yes. So what, tell me a little bit more about what, what a healthy conversation looks yeah. like. Yeah, well, what a hel- it's like any relationship. Well, the very first thing that you need is trust and trust comes mm. from each person showing up and doing their job based on data, not points of view or opinions. And you want that product marketer to be embedded in the product team and be this trusted market advisor where every everything that they do, it's sort of like, oh, well, if we said it this way, do you think this would be more appropriate? Or, hey, since you guys are going out and talking to customers, why don't you try saying this and just tell me what the feedback that you get? And here's how we iterate. And so it is very much a, a give and take and not a sort of a swoop and poop like there, this I talk about this one person in the in the book who got promoted to be a product marketer, and she's like, okay, well then I need to come in and have product ideas. And she came in and she was like, oh guys, why why aren't we doing X, Y, and Z? And they're like, what are you talking about? And what's the context for this? And how is a solid job that needs to be done? And and that wasn't attached to any of it. And had she come in and say, hey guys, we are getting kicked in the pants by this competitor. And last, last month, we our win rate was up and now it's down. This is actually an mm-hmm. urgent situation. What do we have in the product that helps us do battle with X, Y, and Z? Then it's a dialogue. Then there, that market insight is coming in and then the product team feels the urgency that the sales team is, is feeling. And that's what that dynamic back and forth when it's done really well looks like. Each feels that they are enriched and better at doing their job because the other exists. Oh my goodness. I've seen so many of those situations play out exactly like you described, whether it was the person that says, well, man, I have the opportunity to be the smartest person in the room all of a sudden, you know, because I feel like I've, you know, right. Because I'll, I, I'm empowered. Right. And there's something beautiful about that. Right. I mean, there is something uh, you want to, the intent is good, mm-hmm. but the, the, I like how you brought it back to a dialogue where this is something when we said, we want to bring the data. We want to show you the reason why, because everybody's going, I don't know why. Tell me why. Mm-hmm. Um, and so how do how do they come together to have a dialogue where they can push and pull, where there's respect and trust? I love uh, Reed Hoffman's description of trust as consistency over time, right? Yeah. So there's not only that I'm going to bring these ideas, but trust that, you know what, we need to do this a couple times together as we learn how to work together and have that conversation. So you know my intent is for this product, this business, this idea to be as successful as physically possible. Yeah. And, 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 and just that's that, that showing up, that's what the making sure that that product marketer is embedded in how the product team is making decisions. So it's not like, oh, we're ready to bring in the marketing team. It's every standup where you're making prioritization decisions, a product marketer should be present because they are the ones that, and because it's, it's a habit in the way of a lot of how product teams act. Oh, here's backlog of 50 things and we need to prioritize the five that are going to be done in this next sprint and they just heads down and it's a matter of what can be done what's reasonable and what do we have time for and what's a house on fire customer issue and no one is standing up and saying okay where might there be market wind at our back Mm. or what's an opportunity that maybe is just a month out from now that we should be thinking about today to make sure that we're ready for it so that we can have a little more of a bump and that's the kind of quite 
the, the dialogue ideally that happens in those prioritization sessions on a weekly basis. And if you just practice that, where you're, you're bringing that customer and market vantage point to how decisions are getting made, it starts to shift how, how and why people do what they do. Out of curiosity, when you're talking to the leadership, so maybe leadership is not involved in the day-to-day of these two teams working together, where does product marketing fit in the organization? I mean, it definitely it depends on the org structure and everything else. But I, I am curious because a lot of the leaders that we're talking to are going, yeah, yeah, this is all sounds great. So where does that person sit? Yeah. <laughs> where, and I, where I do get, you often see that? For, for a number of, for very good reasons, I get asked that question all the time. And most of the time, product marketing is a, a marketing function. Okay. But I always advise companies to put it wherever it will be most successful. Mm. And that really depends on the leaders. So if you have a, a chief product officer that knows and understands how to leverage the power of product marketing, move it over there. Because if it's stuck under a CMO that keeps it in this walled off silo where all they, all they have the capacity to do is manage some analyst relations and produce some collateral, then it's just limp and weak. And that is, that is a waste of a really great function. And it really needs, it, if it's not acting powerfully, it's in the wrong place. So that's the indicator. Like if you're not getting a huge amount of lift out of the, the position, then it's not in the right place. As markets are more, as companies are more mature, it is much more typically a market-based function because you are very market forward. Hey, we have this new segment. How do we use our product products as a portfolio to reach this segment. When companies are younger in their earlier stages, it tends to be closer to product because you have a generalist and you're figuring all this stuff out. And there's so much learning in real time that's happening on the product side that should make it into how you're thinking about the go-to-market that it tends to be closer to product. So wherever you have a leader that can make the, the position successful, but that's how it tends to be a little divided earlier versus later stage. That's uh, really helpful because it, it just begets, gets really practical, especially as leaders are thinking about my, one of my big roles is to make sure people are in the right spot with the right clarity of their role in their, their purpose. Right. Um, so that's, that's super helpful. I know that will be helpful to several of our listeners that often reach out to me after I've done an interview and say, yeah, yeah, but you didn't ask like how it, where does it live? And I'm like, okay, okay. I get it. I get it. Yeah. Um, as, as people get into this space, what I guess what are some stories where you've said this has either gone really, really well? Let's start with the, let's start with the positive. What are some examples where you can say, you know what? I mean, Riverside's a good example of what we're feeling it right now. But teams that you've worked with, what have been those little special moments where you say that's that's what made it shine? There's a little bit of like, yes, we're, we're starting to see this happen, but this group they unlocked it to another level. Um, what what took it from that? I always say what makes Crema unique is that everyone's trying to do this at a three and we just try to do it at an 11. Mm-hmm. And so what is, what, what were the groups like, or what are the teams like that you've worked with or seen that were doing it at that just premium level? Well, for sure, Microsoft Office did it at that premium level because they fundamentally changed the category. They killed off all of their competitors. So that yeah. was hugely formative in me being able to see that. And and it just set this template for like this is how this is how it can be done if you are disciplined and systematic and truly understand what your objective is at that intersection of 
what are the product capabilities, but how do we need to drive the market alongside that? Because it's not enough. Had they just produced product suites, which is what all their other competitors did, they produced product suites with the same stuff, but they weren't driving the category. They weren't driving the conversation. They weren't arming the industry with the tools to know and assess why their version was superior to ours. They just said, here's our product and here are our features. So Microsoft was absolute king at that time of driving how people should be thinking about the category so that there was a, a wake in which their, their products could serve. And they are, I'd say they're still, of all the companies that I have seen, they are just so disciplined in that application of strategy. And my time in the Valley is much more, I'd say the, it's a very different model, one that's much more hyper iterative, very, very innovation forward, very like, let's try it, let's experiment. And so the you know, the, the rate of change and innovation is way higher sure. because of that. But there's a lot less systematic approach on the go-to-market side. So the team might that I actually talk about in the book, which is like, hey, this is an example of ordinary folks, not with the resources of Microsoft. Yeah, the Microsoft Pocket, is a bit of yeah, an anomaly. Microsoft is iconic for a reason. Yeah. And the team at Pocket, when they were tiny, they were you know, just a handful of people. When they adopted the product marketing mindset and stopped just producing new features and adding them on, and they had a competitor that did exactly the same thing, that had way more credibility in the market space and was talked about in the press and was started by a golden child, they were able to, because they systematically over time had more of this market orientation, surpass massively this competitor initially that had a, a huge perceptional head start, even though they you know weren't, weren't ahead of them. So they were an example of, uh, and everyone there had a product or engineering background. No, no one had a title of marketer. Oh, but they yeah. believed and understood, okay, this is important. They walked the path before they understood all of the elements and then they saw the results. Oh yeah, this is really making a difference. And they kept revisiting, okay, what does this mean? What's what's happening on the market side this quarter? What does that mean that we need to do on the product side? How do we align those things? And how do we create space for our product in the market by the actions that we take? So there was a little bit of content that would happen. There was exceptional design. It was all of these things together and they were a small team, but that team together got all of the product marketing work done. So they were exceptional in their ability to execute without the level of resource of a Microsoft. I remember when Pocket was coming up, they the they had a previous name though. It was Read It, it was, Later. Read It Later, which yeah. seemed so obvious. It was like, well, Read It Later is actually a better name because that's what you're doing. And when they changed to Pocket, I re even remember thinking, I like the brand, but read it later was pretty obvious. And then just to see how they just continued to refine and get better at it. Um, it went viral just around everyone that was using it. People kept talking about it. Yeah. Uh, which again, we all became ambassadors of that brand. Yeah. Um, that's exactly. a great example. Okay. Um, so where do people, and we've talked a little bit at this already, but where do people get it wrong? Where's the area where you see they get it right up to this point, but it often falls apart here. This is this is where it really the rubber hits the road. It's hard. I get it, you know. But where do people really struggle to see this through all the way? So I'd say it's different at different stages of company life cycles. At the early stage, where I see them getting it wrong is an over-index toward like, hey, we're doing all the right things on the product, but they're not simultaneously pushing and understanding all of the market signal at the same time. 
And so they, they believe and they keep investing in the build and what are we building? And then let's drive through the usability aspect and make sure that it's, it's highly useful. And the, there's value and they're kind of using, I'll say almost false signals to indicate value. Oh, I'm having people lean in, but they're not really pushing hard on, well, relative to these other things, how much do you really value it? Like what, what will, what are you willing to displace? So an entrepreneur I'm working with, I said, ask everyone that you put this in front of, what would they use this instead of? And if they can't name it, you know you have you're going to have some marketing some market challenges, and so those are the those are the mistakes that I see in the early stages where there's just not enough attention paid to all of the stuff that's crucial for a product to be adopted in market, and even something as simple as that authorization, authentication, just in time access example that I gave you. There are so many related categories and so many ways that they could have described it that exist. And they're like, well, she would be in this existing category. She would be this. It's hard. That's really hard work. And what they thought of in a room together, these are the experts in the space. They're unbelievable, amazing minds versus what happened when we put it out in market and got signal and feedback, totally different. And what was interesting was they went back and looked at some of the early conversation notes and said, oh, we actually realized they were saying just-in-time access. And somehow we weren't, it wasn't registering because we were looking for the words that we recognized, privilege access management or authorization. Like we were looking for our trigger words and we weren't hearing exactly what they were saying. And it, it took going through the process to realize, oh, that's it. So I'd say in the early stage, it's what people are used to, they're used, they're looking for validation and they're listening for what they think they want to hear and not what is the market actually saying? So that's at the early stage where what I observe. At the later stages, the big failure mode in product marketing is it just gets caught up in a million tasks that must be done and it loses its strategic footing. And it it doesn't have that, that thoughtfulness and intention. And this is long-term how you're driving your company's potential to occupy this position by leveraging this product asset, understanding all elements of the market, and driving systematically there because the sales team's going to sell. They're going to sell whatever, they're going to do whatever it takes to sell. <laughs> and the marketing team's going to amplify. They're going to amplify whatever is going to get clicks. And somebody needs to be mining the house to say, like, does all that add up to where we need to be 12 months from now? Someone needs to be mining the market position. And, and no one owns that except that you have the head of marketing if they really think about it, but not everyone does. But that's the purpose of product marketing. We were talking recently in a conversation with a, a potential client about um, incentives or motivations. So you talked about sales team. They're incentivized by commissions, right? Or a bonus. Or um, product team might be incentivized by feature development. So milestones, getting getting things done, uh, getting a sprint goal or seeing a you know velocity be at X or whatever that might be. All may, may, Not all are always the right indicators. But what what do you think that product marketing should be incentivized by or motivated by? Well, I'd say the biggest one, and this is a really difficult one to measure, which is why it's so hard, sure. is does your product occupy the market position you want it to? Like that is the ultimate test if, if you've really done product marketing well, because uh, all the other things will be aligned behind that as well. But you just if you don't occupy a position, 
someone else will position you for you. <laughs> so it's kind of yeah. like, you're in control of it. or So that's the biggest thing I think that people need to look for as an indicator that it's being done well. There are a lot of other things surrounding that. Are you viewed as a leader in your space? Is your sales team able to sell to your desired target customers effectively? Uh, what are your win rates, <laughs> win rates like <laughs> relative to your key competitors? Those are all additional indicators. Uh, funnel, like how, how well do people flow through funnel? Product marketing can play a significant role in that because maybe the wrong things are being said. So that, those are all the things to look at as indicators. That's really good. Okay. So I always like to, I want to watch our time to wrap up here, but what what's something as you look at this space, product marketing, product in general, entrepreneurship, uh, technology, I mean, we could, we could kind of spread that as wide or as narrow as you want. What's something you go, I'm really excited about this. And that might be in your product marketing with this, this new book, or it might be with your, um, any of your multiple jobs that you have on your, (laughs) on your list right now. Uh, you sound like you're quite busy. Um, what's something you're getting excited about? You say, this is, this is a unique time in our space at this moment, 2022. Uh, what is, what is that something that's excited for you? I do feel like this is an amazing time for, for me, what is really exciting is that I know this is kind of like pointy headed, but the sea change I see happening around the modern data infrastructure and what's possible in the way of the applications that we use and how they get built and, and what is at our fingertips. It, I mean, we're actually just at the beginning of that as, and, and I see so much because I see the infrastructure that's going in. I'm like, oh my gosh, if we're actually able to utilize this in the way we now have access to, it's just going to be amazing. That, that super sci-fi future that we are all interested in. I'm like, whoa, it could actually happen. So that's very exciting from, a, I see the infrastructure being built now. And, but then the onus is on the product creators to actually really lean in to what does it mean to have like truly exceptional product experiences? So what I see there that's really exciting is the generation behind us. So when I teach these engineering students, a huge number of them are international students. And I have seen, and it used to be the students from China were here to just learn and suck everything in. Now my students from China are coming in saying, oh, we already went through this phase and here's what we learned. And so they are now helping us figure uh-huh. out there's there's stuff that we are learning. And so the, the globalization we have for the generation that comes behind and how much sharing there is so yeah. that we are all helping to helping one another surpass where we were before. I just see the potential for learning to be so much faster. And then the last thing that makes me really excited is like this Actually, next week we have, because has this thing called Seat at the Table, where we're talking about more women having more seats at more tables. And we have like almost 300 people coming to this. That gets me excited because the more women we have leaning in to building products, the things that are changing our lives every single day, they are better. We bring in perspectives that aren't necessarily represented in all of the product teams now and might have a more human perspective or you know ha- have a little bit more of that customer insight or actually this woman who was on the board of a big mattress company they were talking about a cooling mattress and they're like oh we believe that only this percentage of the market it applies to this percentage of the market who people who sleep warm versus people who sleep cold and she of course was the only female board member 
and she goes, um, excuse me, there's a time in every woman's life <laughs> where the temperature regulation is changed. Yes. So it's going to apply to 50% of the population. No one had thought of that. And she was astounded. And so this is the, this is a great example of you need to have more of those women in those product teams. So the fact that I see more people engaging in that conversation, leaning in is just awesome. Uh, well, you're preaching to the choir on many of those subjects, whether it's the, you know, exponential growth of learning, um, gosh, the, 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 the change that we're seeing, you know, call it web three, call it all the things that are behind that kind of space. Um, I'm really excited for the infrastructure of that. I'm really excited for the potential of it because I think we still have so much to learn. There were such early days in a lot of yeah, this. Yeah, we really are. Um, but it is exponential growth. Like we're we're going to see things start moving faster and faster and faster. So it's it's that willingness and ability to keep up. Which some days I'm all in for it. Other days I'm like, I'm tired. There's a lot. <laughs> <laughs> well, George, that's exactly why product marketing is so important because we are having that exponential growth. And it's kind of like, oh, yeah. all of us have incredible fatigue. Oh yeah. God, really another product. And so the only things any of us are going to pay attention to is when you tell me, Martina, this is awesome. Yeah. And I'm going to wait for you to tell me because I'm too tired to do any of the looking around myself. And I'm like, oh my God, all these things sound the same. So everyone's feeling that. And, and that's why, you know, why product marketing now is like, oh, because it's only going to get harder and there are only going to be more products. And how do we help the world make thoughtful decisions? So great stuff can happen for all of us. So good. And then I want to just come back to something you said about women in technology, because I think that's such a needed space. We've we've worked really hard at Crema to get to that space. We're just shy of 50-50 and, and, and something that we're really proud Yay. of because it's, it's, it's something that we're really trying to push into. I've got three daughters, so it's something that's really passionate for me. Oh, I grew up yeah. with all sisters. Yeah. I've been surrounded by women my entire <laughs> life, and I'm both motivated and encouraged, inspired by them. And so it's just, it's something where we're trying to say, how do we do that with intentionality? Because that perspective is so important yeah. um, and so exciting too. It's not something where it has to be like, oh, well, we just need another perspective. It's like, no, there's a huge opportunity here. And, um, and so I, I love when my kids, I talk about, and my kids are tweens, right? So we got 11, yeah. 13 and 15. So they're, they're at that age where they're going, what does dad actually do? Right? <laughs> um, <know. laughs> and inviting them in and them getting to, to see both the faces of the people that are at our, our company, but also the, um, the stories of saying, oh, I'm kind of curious about that space as well. And it's like, cool. You know, that may not, that, you know, when I was growing up, that wasn't, as introduced to you, now it is. And I, and I love that story. So yeah. that, I'm glad you brought that up. Oh, and George, you, you said something that's so important there, which is it's about the intention and understanding it's not it's not a nice thing to do. Of course, it is a nice thing to do, but it diverse teams outperform less diverse teams. And that's just that's documented you know, 10 ways from Sunday. But I'll also say diversity isn't just gender diversity or racial diversity. It's diversity of points of view. It's letting it's finding ways for quiet people to speak up, and so yeah. I think we 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 can have or people can sometimes have a very narrow view, like oh they're you know trying to show some progress some progressive agenda. No, this is about just having an invitation for diverse opinions and letting people yeah. disagree in a way that is safe, and that yeah. by itself is an invitation for diversity. And that, 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 that right there, we could have a whole podcast, that, <laughs> but I want to, I want to wrap us up. So, um, thank you for, first off, for taking the time and intentionality to put, put these words out, because I know, like we talked about earlier, writing a book is not easy. You didn't have to do it. 
you didn't have to say these things in the world. You didn't have to be a part of the organizations you've been. You didn't have to stay in this space and keep pushing in and, and, and learning. So thank you for doing that because um, everyone that I bring on the podcast, I think about the fact that you could have chosen any number of different paths. You could have helped any number, any number of different people, but the fact that you have leaned in to help these people do this thing at this period of time, that's that special. So thank you for writing the book. Everyone should go check it out and I'll make sure that there's a link provided so that everybody um, can go purchase a copy. We're going to have to purchase more because somebody stole mine in the office. <laughs> and um, so we're really excited to share this and everything that you're working on. So thank you so much for joining me today. It was such a pleasure. Oh, thank you so much, George. It's been an absolute delight. You are really good at this. I appreciate that. All right. Thanks everybody for listening today and make sure that you subscribe and share this out with your friends, your families, and your loved ones. Cause I think we want to make sure that the world knows how people can destroy silos, destroy bottlenecks, do incredible work where we actually are humans and people doing this thing that we love called design and technology. Thanks everybody. Thanks George. This episode of People of Product was produced by Larissa McCarty with support from Julie Branson and Steph Inger. Our hosts are George Brooks and Daniel Linhart. People of Product is brought to you by Crema, a digital product agency. We believe that creativity, technology, and culture can help individuals and organizations thrive. Learn more at crema.us.